This is Hope and Dread Extra. I'm Charlotte Burns. And I'm Alan Schwartzman. Hope and Dread was a program about the tectonic shifts in power in art. We've heard from people who are making change and from people who are resisting change. Our guests were brimming with ideas and off-topic thoughts that we just didn't have room for within the documentary series. But we didn't want to leave them on the cutting room floor. So now we're bringing you a set of short, sharp bonus episodes featuring some of your season favourites, which will be dropping twice a week. Today we're bringing you more from Lulani Arquette, who is the president and CEO of the Native Arts and Cultures Foundation in Portland, Oregon. The institution is in the middle of an expansion. It recently moved into the former Yale Union Building downtown in a process of rematriation in recognition of the fact that the land was taken from Native peoples. Here, Lulani talks about the organization's ambitions and its focus on healing and reconciliation. Ko'inoa. I originally come from uh, Hawaii, the islands of Hawaii. My father's side of the family is the Kamehameha Waipa Parker clan on the big island of Hawaii. And my mother's uh, family are the Lytle Gee family of mixed race, uh, originally from uh, Philadelphia and then uh, moved to South Dakota of an Irish, Prussian, and Black Dutch. I've uh, been 12 years now running the Native Arts and Cultures Foundation, a national nonprofit that provides services and professional development and convening and a lot of other uh, work for a Native Hawaiian, Alaska Native, and American Indian artists on the continent, Alaska and Hawaii. One of the things that we really focused on was this idea of what is Native art, because there was stereotypical beliefs and kind of a romanticized version of what Native American art was and is. And so we intentionally wanted to expand that into really what is the contemporary evolution of Native American art. Is there a kind of community? Is it too big to be a community? Is it the land mass too vast? to have that sense of community. <laughs> it's very big, Charlotte, that's true. And that sometimes gets uh, complex and confusing to the broader public because, you know, there's, what, 575 federally and um, recognized tribes in Alaska Native corporations. There's about almost 600,000 Native Hawaiians across the continent. And then you have state-recognized tribes and other non-recognized tribal communities. So it's, it's, it is vast and it's complex and it's diverse. There's no one monolithic Native American culture. It's not homogenous. So it's, it's complicated because of that. As you see, 575, there's histories that are similar and threads that weave through those histories of the oppression and the genocide and the number of different kinds of challenges that we face, our ancestors face in, uh, in our communities. But there's also a lot of complexity in different languages, different art practices, and, uh, and different ways of kind of, of living, living your lives and, and engaging. So it is complicated. Yeah, it sounds it. How do you manage that? I, you know, I was reading something you said where you said, I learned that how we communicate matters and developing emotional intelligence is critical. Um, when you're working in complex and diverse communities. And you also talked a little bit about um, seeking adequate information when making decisions and that sometimes difficult decisions have to be made 
amid conflicting viewpoints. Something that keeps coming up on the show time and time again is this idea of how to sit in discomfort, how to navigate through a space that isn't comfortable and may not land comfortably, that this may just be the space. So how do you do that? How do you make those difficult decisions through conflict? It's not easy. It's, it's, it really is about doing, just doing it and practicing it and engaging that kind of a process. Many Native communities have this understanding because in our own communities, there's um, quite a bit of diversity too of thought and belief. Uh, but there's also practices that kind of ground us in certain values. In Hawaii, we have a process called Ho'oponopono, and it's a kind of a healing and reconciliation process. Years ago, we brought that process into our judicial system in Hawaii, which has been very effective of working with adjudicated youth and neighborhood conflict resolutions and and all kinds of other issues. It's a five-step process of there's a certain spiritual aspect to it and about forgiveness and talking and forgiveness and talking and problem solving through that. And you will sit sometimes 24 hours in a group until everyone can come to forgiveness and resolution. We bring that to contemporary modern life now. I think what you're saying is really interesting. And it's, um, it's not a skill that's widely promoted, you know, this idea of deep listening. I agree with you. It's not. I think it's something that should be, though. The pace that we're moving now in society is so fast that often there's not encouragement or we use excuses that we don't have time, myself included, to engage in that kind of deep reflection and mind, you know, mindfulness, which is why in the building that we're doing, the, the, the Center for Native Arts and Cultures, we're intentionally building a spaces of healing and reflection for this exact reason. There's a creek that runs through the building and it stopped up in the basement because that used to be a laundry facility around the turn of the century for the women's labor movement, actually. It has a lot of history, this building. And what we're going to do is repurpose that water where it can be a healing and reflective space for artists and creatives and guests, people to come and just uh, be in that space. We need these spaces of healing and reflection. Where I come from in Hawaii, you know, we're surrounded by the Pacific Ocean. The ocean is the healer. In many island cultures, the ocean is the womb of Mother Earth. And it's through, it's a powerful source of healing. But the urban environments are increasingly becoming uh, battlegrounds, especially here in Portland. And uh, there has to be spaces built into our urban areas and for healing and reflection. And that's one thing that's really important for this building. I think it's really great. Like what you're doing is focusing very much on the generative possibilities of a cultural space, which is a different model than the kind of, you know, big white box model that's more about entertainment and food and those kinds of things. Right. And we are going to have obviously a little bit of that too. But you're right. It's more values-based in the generative aspect of it so that it promotes creativity and encourages the art making. And, we'll, you know, we're looking at a black box theater. We have exhibition space also. There's um, community meeting space. There's social entrepreneurial space for creative industry business, uh, native-owned small business. They're now working out of their garages or in their 
uh, kitchens or and, and they may be in design work, what graphic design, they may be doing clothes, they may be doing certain certain kinds of activities. So we have that built into the plan, but it, you're exactly right. It's not just this white box. We're, it's very much part of who we are as Native peoples in this in the importance of that space of healing and reconciliation and soul growth, uh, whatever you want to call it. So you have a capitalist society that's not working. I mean, just look at what happened this last pandemic year with people that had the gains on Wall Street, you know, really very high wealthy people in the billionaire category. They have increased 38% their fortunes uh, during the pandemic alone. Most of the rest of everybody else is experiencing the unemployment, the um, difficulty paying expenses, you know, all the things that, you know, are uh, caught up on their rent uh, or their mortgage, food insecurity, on and on and on. But when you look at all this, there's this idea of really needing to take a look at the infrastructure and the systems in America. We know that from, you know, the race, the, the anti-racism work and the racial equity work that we're many, many of us are working on in different ways, that capitalism doesn't work anymore in the way that it's currently structured. This market-based economy is not working. And so we need to figure out better ways. And particularly as it relates to arts and culture, I think that your institutions are trying, but everybody needs to try harder. You know, I worry that we may have a revolution in this country because we're, there's so many different viewpoints. You feel more a sense of hope in our cultural spaces because we are singing and dancing and um, chanting and uh, creating together. That's a place that's very powerful. Um, you've already kind of addressed this, but I'm going to ask you in a slightly different way. When you look ahead at culture, do you feel hope or dread or both or something else? I'm actually a more optimistic person. <laughs> so I actually feel more hope, but I think it's because I'm conditioned myself to feel this way. I'm a real believer that, you know, we sort of create manifest our own destinies and to some degree and our thinking and our energy and actions, um, you know, have a lot to do with that. So I would I would say hope, and that's not to deny or exclude uh, the real severe challenges we have in this country, in the world right now. And I mean, climate change, racial equity, uh, intergenerational understanding, uh, you know, and on and on. They're all there. Poverty. Uh, but the groups that I'm working with, the places that I travel to, People are doing hopeful things. They're focusing on what they can do in their communities with one another to create these pockets in urban, in rural areas across this country for inspiration and uh, and helping one another. And in Hawaii, we call it aloha kekahi kekahi. You care for and you love one another. And that is huge and powerful. For more from Lulani, tune into episode four of Hope and Dread, Burning Down the House, episode six, Take Me to Your Leader, and episode 12, Are You Sitting Uncomfortably? Listen to Hope and Dread Extra every Tuesday and Thursday and subscribe wherever it is you find your podcasts.
Hope and Dread is brought to you by Art and, the new editorial platform created by Schwartzman and. The executive producer is Alan Schwartzman, who co-hosts the show together with me, Charlotte Burns of Studio Burns, which produces the series. Robert Bound is our associate editor. Holly Fisher mixes and edits the sound. Additional research has been provided by Julia Hernandez, and our theme music is by the inimitable Philip Glass. <laughs> <laughs>